0: So Shauna, there are a ton of big sporting events happening in the world right now, and of course, with them, we have lots of issues, um, lots of problems. And I am thinking the European Mm. Cup just happened in soccer, where um, it was England versus Italy, and shocker, England lost on penalties. Which, if you are a Brit listening to this, (laughs) not be at all surprising to you. Um, But what happened in the aftermath was there were a number of um, racist slurs that came out against the players of color online Mm. uh twitter um facebook etc a lot of Mm -hmm. harassment um and so you know i was i was chatting to my friend in the uk who is a white woman and she was you know with how embarrassing it was that this behavior um, made it into the news in australia it made it into the news in the united states
1: You Mm. know,
0: still wow Britons say that there's not a racism problem. White Britons say there's not a racism problem, but clearly there is. And then, of course, we also have the Tour de France, yeah. which is happening right now, um, or at least yes. the sort of airing of this podcast will have concluded. But that is um, super yeah. white um, with
1: all a- obviously mm-hmm. and male.
0: Um, so a lot of things to yes. think about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and if that wasn't enough, uh, we we are about to embark upon the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, We should say the official Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even though it was postponed to 2021 due to the pandemic and other issues. And so, yeah, there's a lot on the world stage in regards to (laughs) sport. Um, All the controversy that can happen amongst athletes and their countries that they represent. Um, and so, you know, there's been a lot of highlights here that we've seen. Um, and I, I think there's even more to it. If like an onion. We could just keep peeling. There's much more to it than what we've uh, already seen.
0: Yeah, and I think it can be an exemplar if we talk about it around even if you're a hosting a small local event, right, some things to think about, mm. things not to do. Um, and mm-hmm. in the U.S., obviously, Shikari Richardson um, has been a big uh, oh, controversy yes, yeah. with her use of marijuana and the month ban, and not being able to go to the Olympics, but there is so much more than that. I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: So let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I must say there's been a lot going on on the world stage. Um, And so I appreciate being able to uh, flip across uh, four or five different channels to see what's going on exactly, because um, I do think that many of us uh, regard the athletes that represent our countries and even our sport that (laughs) our favorite sport uh, kind of superheroes in some ways. Um, But I think what's been really interesting is that we've, Um, had a good amount of time focusing on, for example, Shakari Richardson's ban. But I think that's just focusing on one human being, which is important, but there's a lot of systems at play here. And so I think, you know, when we just talk about one or two athletes, it's kind of checkers, but there's a lot of chess being played uh, when we think about diversity, inclusion um, standards in the midst of a global pandemic, because I refuse to believe that it's over. It ain't over. Let's be clear. It's not. Um, And so there's a lot to think about here.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with the, with Shikari, um, you know, there's been a lot of coverage, a lot of discussion about the fact that marijuana should not be a banned substance. It's not a performance enhancing drug. Um, And so it did tap into this larger conversation, at least in the United States about where we are thinking and where we are heading related to marijuana use and, athletes. But of course, this is the World Doping Agency, right? So it's um, outside of the US's hands, because even if the United States were to um, federally decriminalize the use of marijuana, the World Mm -hmm. Anti-Doping Association Would still have it on um, its banned substances list. So, you know, you've got this kind of local in terms of the national policy around marijuana use. And then you've also got the world policy. And because the world policy covers Mm -hmm. hundreds of countries, right, there isn't a consensus. But in the United States context, you've obviously got a high correlation with marijuana use and incarceration and the devastation of communities of color. But that isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. contextually relevant for other countries, right? Like it might be, but it's particularly salient in the United States. So again, thinking about, yes, she's Mm. one individual, but it shines a light on kind of this larger systemic problem. Um, And I think there have been a number of other issues that have shone um, a brighter light on these larger systemic issues. um, One of which is the testosterone mm-hmm. conversation, you know, and we had a, a session, yeah, a couple, oh, a couple of weeks back yes. talking about transgender athletes. Yeah. And this isn't even an issue of transgender athletes. Mm-hmm. This is the Olympic rules and regs that ban uh, mm-hmm. women um, who, who have naturally high occurring testosterone so there's already been two mm-hmm. Namibian women mm-hmm. who have been banned from the 400 meters. Um, so they're not allowed to compete in the Olympics because they're of their naturally occurring um, testosterone levels unless they take medication, right? But then we come back around to the use of medication. Right. What does that do to her performance? How does that disrupt one's um, like physiology in terms of growth? These two women, I think are 18 years old. So they're young, right? They're still developing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't know yeah. whether you yeah. have any, yeah. any thoughts on that in particular. Well-
1: and you know, here's here's the thing. And I don't wanna I don't wanna minimize this topic because once again, it feels like another example of the natural state of one's body being forced to be different because it doesn't meet a white and or male standard. So, you know, when it comes to you know testing for naturally high testosterone, are you kidding me? So you're going to force someone to inhibit themselves in order to meet a standard to compete. That's one piece of it that bothers me. And then other pieces that I've seen that affect the natural body in ways that are not appropriate, um, You know, even with something as simple as the swim cap that was not allowed for those who have natural hair, such as myself, which this directly ret- uh, uh, directly targets any person that is of African descent, where our hair naturally grows out of our head and therefore it is problematic to white systems of hair, of presentation. So to me, I'm thinking to myself, if Angela Davis jumps in the water to swim, in fact, it's already an inhibitor because we have big, gorgeous, curly hair. Why do we have to either straighten our hair or use different Mm -hmm. swim caps that directly affect and or, um, frankly, tear up our hair. Because let me be clear, I've been one of those people that the the usual swim cap literally pulls hair out of your scalp. Um, And so, again, another example of the ways in which people and their natural bodies are being inhibited in ways that we can go down the laundry list, but Michael Phelps is at the top of that list of natural bodies that were not inhibited because they met a white and or male standard. Mm -hmm. No Mm -hmm. one said Michael Phelps had to take a pill to make his hands and feet smaller or his wingspan smaller. So to me, I feel like that's all in that same category of continuing to try to inhibit natural bodies to do what they do athletically.
0: Mm. But it's also, it's, it's not all natural bodies, right? It's, na- it's largely natural women's, cis, cis women's bodies and trans women's bodies. That's it. Um, That's it. So there's That's inherently it. sexism and or misogyny in mm-hmm. a lot of these rules. And so the swim cap, you know, I think what the um, Olympic committee or whoever it is that decides what swim caps can be used in the Olympics, banned that sole swim cap because it doesn't follow the quote-unquote natural shape of the head, right? Mm -hmm. And so that policy is, yeah, inherently um, predicated based on written for white people whose hair tends to be not exclusively, but tends to be flatter, Mm -hmm. um, more malleable, (laughs) right? right? So, yeah, so you're right. right. And so you, you, Shauna, have to change your body, your hair to um, be able to compete Mm -hmm. in the Olympics. And and it's just it's inherently
1: problematic. It's inherently racist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I just I see a lot of that happening in ways that I don't see white and or white male individuals contorting themselves in order to fit into a standard in order Mm -hmm. to compete. I feel like we are, the oppressed groups end up being the contortionists, which is so interesting to me because even after we contort ourselves, we still end up winning. <laughs> so it's like, we've gone through all this and we still have shown in some instances that we are still athletically superior in certain ways, even with all of this resistance. and. Right lack of understanding about culture and different bodies and so forth. And isn't the whole point of the Olympic games to bring together people from very different backgrounds with very different bodies and lived experiences Mm -hmm, to have fun in the games and represent their country. And so to try to fit people into a cookie cutter in the, in the, um, in the vein or spirit of what you've mentioned before, quote unquote, fairness, if y'all could see me right now, I'm doing air quotes on fairness we're saying that Shauna has to straighten her hair like Lisa in order to be fair as an athlete. Well, why? Lisa? No one asked Lisa to get an afro to be fair to Shauna, right? right and right. so what does that mean as far as contortion of athletes to participate on a global scale? Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. highly problematic. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you brought up the Namibian women because I hadn't heard about that particular case just yet, but it smells like something very similar that black people have been experiencing.
0: Yeah, and it's in the, the contortion that you're talking about is always in the direction of whiteness, right? So with the the Namibian women <laughs> and with yes. C- Semenya and um other mm-hmm. women who mm-hmm. have um kind of fallen afoul of this uh what is I think is an arbitrary testosterone level rule, um are almost always women mm. of color, almost always from the global south. And so um it is a it is a definition of femininity that is predicated on white femininity right um that Mm -hmm. to be a woman Mm -hmm. to claim the identity of the woman of a woman you have to appear and look a certain way and so therefore your testosterone should not be above a certain point otherwise you can no longer claim the identity of the woman which is horribly controlling when you think about it, right? It's horribly prescriptive. It is um, primarily um, thus far has been harmful to primarily predominantly women of color. And then I think about that with men, right? So men who have naturally high testosterone levels, presumably Mm. if there are women who have naturally high testosterone levels there are also men who have uh, cisgender men who have naturally high testosterone levels but we're not Mm -hmm. testing them Mm -hmm. we're not saying well Mm. your testosterone levels are over and above the quote-unquote average testosterone levels for uh, male athletes therefore you can't compete unless you take a pill to reduce them like that doesn't happen reduce it yeah it's always about women you know, -hmm, cis women or trans women, yeah.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, and I know this sounds like a a quick turn from this particular topic because it's so important, but when you said testing, it triggered my thinking into another direction with testing in compliance with COVID, obviously. I'm still shocked. I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but I'm still shocked. And I know it's a lot of systemic layers to it, but I'm still shocked that we've postponed the Tokyo Olympics for a year, but yet the percentages of folks who are vaccinated are abysmal comparatively, globally. Right, right. Um, And so when, you know, we look at the numbers and only a little over 32% of folks in Tokyo have had at least one dose and then 20.4% are fully vaccinated at this point. That's almost nobody. I mean, it's it's almost like if everyone stopped right now and took their second dose of the vaccine, unless you're taking Johnson and Johnson, but if you stop right now and take the second dose, it usually takes a couple of weeks to kick in. And we, st- we would be in the middle of the Olympic games at that moment. That still would not be helpful. And I'm just imagining bringing that many people from that many different countries to my country and being okay with it, (laughs) being okay with what could happen, what might happen. Um, I'm very concerned about Mm -hmm, this, uh, as a lot of media has said, becoming a super spreader event. I'm really concerned about it.
0: Yeah. And my understanding is that Japan broadly is, you know, the general public are extremely opposed to bringing, the olympics and have been extremely vocal about that
1: too but you know the ship Uh has
0: sailed and it's like moving forward with force and and it's obviously very complicated because you know it's already been postponed once there's a lot of infrastructure there's a lot of financial commitment
1: um yeah you yeah. know,
0: to postpone it a second time, I realize it would not be an easy decision, but, you know, there are people's lives being at risk and there are a number of athletes that have already tested positive, despite all of their yeah. um, yep. safeguards, right, and requirements and testing requirements. Right. There are athletes that aren't going to the That's Olympics right. anymore, including thus far the refugee team, I'm not actually sure that it's called the refugee ah. team. But the team who participate in the Olympics Mm -hmm. because they um, are stateless or they have, you know, fled violence in their home country. At least one of those folks has tested Mm -hmm. positive for COVID. And so that whole team um, is not yet traveling to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. um, an Australian woman basketball player has decided to step off of the Olympic team because it's too stressful for her to travel to Tokyo and be in this bubble and be tested every two to three days or whatever it is. And um, yeah, you know she also happens to be a woman of color um so there's this you've mm-hmm. got the you've got the country's resistance you've got players getting um covid you've mm-hmm. got this stress and anxiety of being like trapped essentially in a in a bubble when you're in tokyo yeah. um and then i yeah. wonder yeah. Yeah. Have you heard anything about people not wanting to take the vaccine because of concerns around performance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's at least one swimmer that said, I'm, I'm not taking it or I'm not really uh, excited about taking it because I know it's going to affect my performance. And so I don't know about um, our listeners. Maybe they can uh, chime in and let us know what their experiences were if they've taken the vaccine. But for me, I took the Pfizer back in March. I took um, the first Uh, dosage I took, I had a little bit of a sore arm, nothing different from taking a flu shot or something else. But the second dose that I took, I was very lethargic and I was on the couch, letting Netflix watch me for about two days. And so I can only imagine, you know, day one, two, and three after taking the vaccine and competing in the Olympic games. I don't care if I've been training for four or five, six, 10 years, your body responds to what's going on in the moment. And so I I completely understand where they're coming from around, wait a minute, I've spent years training for seconds to compete at this level. I'm not willing to risk it by taking the vaccine. I I understand it. I really understand it
0: the trials, the vaccine trials, right, were not tested um, specifically on elite athletes and what the vaccine would do to performance, right, or whether it would enhance or inhibit, you know, outside of the fatigue, you might feel after the shot, Um, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. there's some other stuff Mm -hmm. that's happening that just hasn't
1: been tested. Um, Exactly, because we haven't had enough time, It it just came out, you know, so yeah. no one's really had much time. We're still trying to get little kids back to school. So clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. we haven't gone into some of these specialty populations. So you're bringing up a really great point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm very concerned about that piece. And, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, what will happen moving forward? I don't want to think too far down the road, but, you know, we didn't anticipate a global pandemic beforehand, you know. The Tokyo was announced as the location of the 2020 Olympic Games back in 2013. They had seven years to prepare for an Olympic Games until, boom, a pandemic hits a few months before it's supposed to happen. And so given that, you know, I do want to give them some a a little grace, too, because there's some infrastructure things that are just are not helpful. You know, there is already a shortage of doctors and nurses um, in Japan, which meant that They already had a low infrastructure for doing anything in the medical community as far as public health is concerned. So if you put a pandemic on top of an already shaky infrastructure, you know, doctors and and nurses are the only people that are allowed to administer the vaccine to folks. So now in the U.S., I had a a lovely um, medical student from Howard University to administer my vaccine. They don't have that level of infrastructure. And I'm not saying things went perfectly here in the U.S. either, but it's a little looser here for people that are able to administer than there. So, you know, I, I can see how it's the perfect storm for things not to go smoothly. Um, and so I'm, I'm very concerned of how this yeah. may become a super spreader.
0: Yeah, and then you also, so, okay, Mm -hmm. so super spreader event, and then you think about the disproportionate way in which the vaccine has been rolled out internationally, right? So with richer countries, Mm -hmm.
1: um, you know, Mm -hmm. more
0: located in in Europe and the uh, Americas, or at least North America, and there's so many countries that haven't even begun to vaccinate their populations yet because they don't have access to the vaccine, or they're even- um, they e- have even less than Tokyo or Japan in terms of those percentages. And the Olympics is supposed to be a tournament for the whole world. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I imagine not every country participates usually, but in what ways does hosting the Olympics now essentially privilege those countries that are rich enough or technologically mm-hmm. advanced enough to have access to, the, to a number of vaccines? Whereas how does it um, marginalized, disadvantage those countries where there's either no vaccines or very minimal, uh, vaccinations, right? Because you've got those athletes coming to a location that could be a super spreader event. And so while they might get tested, Mm -hmm. even actually, even if you're vaccinated, you could still carry the virus, right? So you just don't get sick from it. And so then they Mm -hmm. come back to their home countries, that are already struggling in managing the pandemic, and you know, right. and the chain begins. So it it definitely so feels like awesome. some there's some global um, discrepancies. Mm-hmm um oppression yeah. kind of glo- on a global scale happening here of course capitalism is a huge piece of this so um not a fan of right capitalism. right right Absolutely. already but um, Absolutely. i think that that's a huge piece of this too so it's like how do you balance that yeah. how do you give grace to a country like you said um that
1: mm.
0: has already postponed wasn't anticipating a pandemic is struggling in terms of their laws and their infrastructure around vaccine rollout and the mm-hmm. fact that this could be actually this is Potentially going to be devastating to those countries that do not need it to be devastating, right? Because they're already struggling.
1: (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So it just compounds an already devastating issue. And the irony of it is, you know, their country's quote unquote heroes are coming back and could possibly obliterate lives because they're bringing something back and it's now. Spreading like wildfire. And that's not even including, you know, thoughts about the Delta variant and you know, all of that happening right now. It's it's not over, people. Let me just be very clear. We want to feel like, oh, well, we can go outside now and certain places we can go without masks and so forth. That's not the case. It's not a standard case for every country, depending on where you are. So it's just something to really think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Lisa, for me at this point, you know, my <laughs> my fun. In watching the the pre gaming prior to the Olympic Games has been all about Naomi Osaka, okay? Okay, I mean, she has been incredible, um, and and the reason why I say that she's uh, incredible from from my standpoint. When you mentioned capitalism, I was thinking Monday I'm that person that was buying into capitalism. Um, I collect Barbies because I have like my sorority Barbie and and you know Catherine Johnson who was one of the um. um the 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 ones I'm forgetting what they were in it was hidden figures that's it hidden figures right she was one of the hidden figures so she was considered the human computer you know I have all of those Ella Fitzgerald so forth Naomi Osaka's Barbie went on the market on Monday and was gone on Monday right yeah I'm like get out of here um and so (laughs) I'm, I'm on the I'm I'm on the the run between different targets and the Barbie website trying to find this name, Naomi Osaka Barbie. Clearly it's sold out. They have to do another run of them. But what I think is so profound is that um, I just finished watching her series on Netflix, just about um, competing and mental health and so forth. I am so excited um, to see what she does because there's major controversy around being both black and also Japanese and what does that mean? She even calls out uh, Black people broadly and then specifically African-Americans because we as a community were so offended that she would not be representing the United States. And you know, she says very clearly, I've made it clear, I'm not going to be representing the United States. I have never said I was going to represent the United States. I've always said I was going to represent Japan. And so why African-Americans? do you not understand the difference between race and ethnicity? And so she's kind of calling out a lot of things. This kind of harkens back to my conversation with Sean Mark Anderson about um, how a athlete's platform is used for social justice. Who knows what Naomi will come up with at the Olympic games, because obviously there's lots of bans for things that she cannot do. Um, So she might get creative on what she can do. So she can't just show up with seven mask of black people who were murdered in the street in the united states she's going to have to think of something different um and so i'm kind of sitting on the edge of my seat to see what she says or does um mm. when it comes to tokyo
0: yeah that's really interesting um for folks to get upset at the choice that she's made around how she identifies uh in terms of you know which country she wants to represent like that's really that's her choice um that's not that's the choice right. of anyone that's else right. um, and yes, you bring up a great point around all of the rules and regulations that we've heard around um, from the Olympics that in terms of social justice or quote unquote political statements, right? And I think that they specifically called out Black Lives Matter as a um, right. cause or slogan or um, that you're not allowed mm-hmm. to wear or display in any way. So it's it's interesting, isn't it? These, um, these bans because it is such a huge stage. It's such a huge venue for an athlete to use their power and their voice. And then you have okay. this Olympic committee. I don't actually know who's on the Olympic committee. I mean, my guess is it's probably largely older white men. Maybe that's not true, but <laughs> that would be my thought. Um, <laughs> making new rules around and it comes into, it's this whole politics slash culture issue right that any any commentary about um social justice as it relates to the oppression of marginalized people um folks of color in the U.S. and then other people in different cultural contexts is quote-unquote political and therefore is banned right versus it's a
1: fundamental human rights issue
0: right like I always find that interesting
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm looking at the people there. There are, (laughs) I was nosy as you were bringing this up. There are 102 IOC members, um, quite a few white folks from what I can see um, from perception. Um, I may be guessing wrong on some folks. Um, For Great Britain, of course, the Princess Royal, that's your rep, there you go. Um, But for us, this is where it gets really interesting, right? Where it's like, I see mostly... White faces. I'm gonna be honest with you. I see mostly white faces out of the 102 from the U.S. Um, I'm looking. F- I'm looking for the U.S. now. Let me keep scrolling here. Um, but I see mostly white faces. Isn't that interesting? I had not thought to look up who's on the IOC committee. Hmm.
0: I didn't even know there were 102 <laughs> people on it. Actually, this is where we build the plane as we fly and say things when we haven't actually researched it. So mm, it's good. Right. That you're looking. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I just took a glance and. Um, yeah, the the person who represents the United States is looks male and white. Um, and yeah, and so they're the rep of the United States. Their sports include tennis and downhill skiing, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yes, I, I see primarily white and mm-hmm. male members. Okay, have, well, tennis yeah. and
0: downhill skiing. <laughs> I'm like, you didn't need to tell me that. that, Rachel, that told like, us I could things. just
1: tell it from the sport. Right see I see you said it I, I held back but you said it I'm glad you said it Lisa because I was thinking it so there you go yeah I know. so right? yeah yeah so I, I think that's really interesting and then they have like 43 honorary folks but yeah a mm. lot of whiteness on that IOC committee so you know yeah they were selected for a reason but I'm still going to question um their their skill sets and re- I question everybody's skill sets when it comes to inclusivity sense of belonging especially in the middle of the pandemic. So let me just leave that right there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, So I guess I think to to wrap up, I I mean, my recommendation would be for listeners, you know, love the Olympics, enjoy the Olympics, but also recognize that there's all other issues and complications and problems with um, events of this scale. And that's going to be true of, you know, the world cup of soccer and world championships, Mm -hmm. you know, like track and field world championships, it's all there. And I think to be an astute and educated endurance sport athlete and leader, it's really important that you recognize those issues, too,
1: in addition to celebrating the wins. Absolutely. So I will probably not get that much sleep because I'll be waking up at strange hours in the middle of the night to watch whatever my favorite sports uh, pop up to be. Some sports are, look, I don't even watch, but they're my favorite because they're so unique. So that's that. Um, But I'm looking forward to it. And so Lisa, I think we should challenge ourselves to watch as much as possible of Tokyo 2020, 2021, and then come up with some lessons learned because Paris is around the corner 2024 Uh, They usually announce seven to eight years prior to so they can build infrastructure and do lots of things. So uh, let's help Paris out by pulling together uh, a list or a bullet point Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. lessons learned as we watch and see this unfold in in real time.
0: Yeah, because Paris is totally listening to our podcast and will absolutely listen. They're listening. I know
1: they are. Look, I will tag their prime minister. I will tag whoever needs to be tagged on this podcast to make sure they hear what they need to hear. So we're going to help them out. You never know. We might be doing a live podcast from Paris in four years. Let's put that out there in the universe and see what happens. The
0: unfazed podcast and all things feisty triathlon are grateful to be supported by inside tracker inside tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood DNA and lifestyle to provide you a personalized science backed trackable action plan on how to live Age and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data; they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the feisty triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. Unphased, a podcast produced by live feisty media and supported by the outspoken women in triathlon summit edited and
1: produced by the fabulous lindsey glassford
0: email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at outspoken women in tri
1: i'm lisa i'm shauna thanks for listening stay unfazed folks see you next time